Have you ever been in a situation where you were asked or expected to perform a task or maybe complete a project or assignment, but you weren't given the tools or the, the training or the resources necessary to fulfill that responsibility successfully? You may remember how that theme emerged both positively and negatively when the Lord began the process of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land. So, so it started when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And the Lord said, I, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've, I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down, right, right there, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. But, but, but then <laughs> the Lord says to Moses, therefore, come now and I'll, I'll send you. Oh, wait a minute. I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. You see the important logical transition there? Uh, the Lord plans to do something marvelous for his people. That's good news. He, he says, I have come down. But then the Lord calls Moses to have a central role in the accomplishment of that plan, including, just picture this, going and seeing Pharaoh and leading 600,000 slaves and their families out of Pharaoh's workforce. That, that might not be such good news, at least to the person who is being given that assignment. I mean, this story has the word outrageous written all over it from beginning to end. That then sets off this interchange between the Lord and Moses, how Moses is focusing on his lack of ability and his lack of resources. We do that, don't we? That would have been a good time for a yes. That's exactly what Moses was doing. And God is promising to give him all he needs to fulfill his divine assignment. So you may remember Moses says, well, well who am I going to say sent me? That's actually a pretty fair question. And that leads to the revelation of one of the most significant names of God there is. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, Jehovah, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. In other words, I am the eternal, self-existent, all-sufficient God of the universe, and I am promising to go with you through this endeavor personally. I'm the God who makes promises to the people and the one who has the ability and the character to carry them out. So, so what do we have here? And by the way, you might want to think about the Ramirez's testimony in the back of your mind as you think about it. This is a big assignment, but with divine provision. You agree with all that? It's a big assignment, but, but with divine provision. Now, you may recall it took Moses a bit of time to get on the same page. <laughs> and we probably ought to cut him a little slack. I mean, it's not every day you're having a spiritual conversation with a burning bush. Uh, about a job like this. So, so Moses says, well, what, what, if the, what if the people won't listen to me, he says. <laughs> That's when God introduces him to the new abilities of the staff he's carrying. Remember? Throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. 
And then in a few minutes, he tells Moses, hey, take that hand of yours, put it in your robe, put it in your robe, just like that. You're wondering about my abilities, put your hand in your robe. Remember what happened next? He pulled that thing out, it was like leprous, remember that? Boom, leprous. Then you remember what God said? Put it back in there, put it back in there. Would you have put it in the second time? It's like, you know, I'm not sure I liked uh, time one. I don't know that I want it. It might come out a stub. I mean, who knows? Who knows? And, of course, it came out instantly and completely restored. Then Moses said, you remember? Well, but, but, but I'm not very eloquent. <laughs> oh my. The Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Like, I didn't know that. Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth. Picture that. I'll be with that mouth of yours. I'll, I'll teach you what you are to say. What happened next? Moses still uh, objected. He said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And you might say, well, that was a sweet thing to say. No, it wasn't. What Moses was saying at that point was, get somebody else. And you might say, how do you know that? Well, you just keep reading. Because what happens next? The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Imagine that. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You're to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. I'll teach you what you're to do. Do you see the theme When God calls you to do something, he stands ready to give you all the resources necessary to serve him well. Do you believe that this morning? There's another good time for a yes. Do you believe that this morning? And not just because I would check it off that way on my my theological test, but does your life reveal that you really do believe that? Well, as the story progresses, there's a clear contrast, isn't there? Because not all leaders believe in resourcing those under them well. Would you agree with that? Have you ever experienced that? Because when we get to Pharaoh, surprise, surprise, he didn't like Moses and Aaron's request that the children of Israel be allowed to go into the wilderness and worship. So so how did he respond to that? Well, well, here you go. Contrast it to everything we've just seen. So the same day which I think is interesting, by the way. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen saying, you're no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose that on them. You're you're not to reduce any of it because they're lazy. And notice that, an incredible accusation against them, which was not true. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men. Let them work at it so they'll not pay attention to these these false words. Do you see the contrast? Between a God who calls his people to important tasks but gives them all the resources they need to succeed and this Egyptian pharaoh who does the polar opposite. Now, Now, here's my question for you this morning. When it comes to face last 60 years and the mission to which God has called us, has our experience been like God's treatment of Moses or like Pharaoh's treatment of the children of Israel? Has it been abundant provision 
Or has it been unreasonable and under-resourced demands? And what does your answer suggest about how people like you and me ought to think about building on our heritage? With that in mind, let me invite you to open your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, that's on page 150 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So Ephesians chapter 1, or page 150 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our church's theme this year is building on our heritage because we're right on top of, in fact, it was just last month, now it's March, we're past it a bit, but we're right on top of our church's 60th anniversary this year, and God in His grace has given us a wonderful heritage. He really has. And so the question that we're considering is, well, what does it look like to build on that? See, it's our turn. It's our turn. So what does it look like to to build on our heritage wisely and well? So in these early months of 2024, we're working through Ephesians chapter 1. We want to remember our identity as one in Christ. And we're going to read the, the first 14 verses of this chapter. We've been doing this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But I would encourage you this morning to especially look for what Paul tells us about just an amazing aspect of God's provision for us. He gives us all we need. And part of that includes how how you're sealed. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he, he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the, the kind intention of, of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory in Him. Now we're getting to the verses we're going to be talking about today. In Him, we see that phrase throughout this text, in Him, in Him, in Him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the the praise of His glory. So we're talking this morning about the believer's seal. And with the time we have remaining, let's think about three responses to God's provision of the Holy Spirit. It starts right here. Remember the the prerequisite uh, of God's seal on your life. You know, we recognize that, that, that some may have been a bit troubled by some of what we studied so far in chapter 1. Let's just talk about that, about God's role in the salvation process. I mentioned several weeks ago when we started all of this that I had a friend in another state who was an associate pastor who preached on Ephesians 1-4 on Sunday and was fired on Monday. 
And the reason was people were unwilling to hear what Scripture clearly teaches on this matter. Now, there is no doubt that in the longest sentence in the Bible, that's what I just read to you, where Paul is thoroughly discussing the doctrine of soteriology or the, the doctrine of salvation, that a primary emphasis is on how God initiates the salvation process, not man. So, for example, and I tried to emphasize it even as we were reading this morning, but in verse 4, just as he chose us, not, not the other way around, he chose us in him. In verse 5a, he predestined us. And 5b, according to the kind intention, not of my will, but of his will. Verse 6, he's the one who freely bestowed this on us. Again, verse 9, according to his kind intention. Verse 11, having been predestined according to his purpose. 11b, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And I realize some people might say, oh, I I see what's going on here. I see it. Uh, The pastors at faith are Calvinists. Or faith is Calvinistic. And honestly, if you allowed us some time to explain our response, we would say that those answers are true or those statements are true. However, it's not because of our adherence to the teachings of a particular theologian. It's because we believe it's the plain reading of this text, along with many other places in the Word of God. Friends, human beings do not have the capacity in and of ourselves to move toward God in repentance and faith. And you might say, oh, really? Well, is Paul done insulting me? No, no. And I said at some point in this series, we're trying to stay off of one another's real estate in this whole series of messages. But if we could just peek, don't tell them I did this. But if you could just peek for a second into chapter 2, verse 1, what did Paul say? about us in our unregenerate state, and you were, what? Dead in your trespasses and sins. That means fundamentally that spiritual life is a gift from God, not an act of man. I hope you believe that. Another way of saying that is regeneration precedes faith. Now, that issue is actually woven into our church's history because the two issues here are either being Calvinistic Although there's all sorts of shades, all sorts of degrees about that. But Calvinism, it emphasizes God's primary or initiatory role in the salvation process. You can either tend that way or trend that way, or you can be Arminian, which emphasizes man's role in the salvation process. And Pastor Gooden, I had a number of very thorough discussions about that topic. And his own testimony, and it wasn't just that this was given to me, he would say this publicly in messages as well, was that he began ministry from more of an Arminian perspective. That was true of many fundamental Baptists. But but then as he began to become more familiar and involved with some of the other first-generation leaders in the biblical counseling movement, they were all reformed in their theology, and many of them were Presbyterians, Many of them were Reformed Baptists, and they tended to be much more Calvinistic. And so Pastor Goode did what he often did in moments like that. He began studying his Bible. And that's one of the aspects of our heritage, by the way, for which we ought to be profoundly thankful. Talking about men like Pastor Goode, Doc Smith, many women in this church as well. Lots of lots of people in this congregation historically were very, very careful to just study the Bible. Let's not be afraid to be biblical. 
is one of the phrases that has been a hallmark around here. And the way Pastor Good explained it to me was, and again, he said this publicly as well, is one day he was driving and essentially having a conversation with himself. And he said, you know, you teach on every other topic in the Bible. Why are you afraid to teach on election? And then as his studies continued to develop, he saw that sometimes, if not often, when doctrines like election and predestination and foreknowledge are emphasized in the Bible, it's in the context of suffering and trials. And he concluded that by avoiding that concept, he was not preparing our people to handle difficult times as well as he should. And those of you who have been a faith for a long, long time, you'll remember the way Pastor Good summarized this doctrine. In fact, you could probably finish this sentence. He said, God didn't just start thinking about you yesterday. That that is classic Bill Good right there. Taking a challenging theological concept and making it biblical and understandable and practical. And I hope we'll be very, very thankful for that aspect of our heritage. However, I gave you all of that. To get to the the however, it's amazing how the verses that we have before us balance those concepts because the verse I read to you, verse 13, emphasizes man's role in the process, doesn't it? And then look at this. In him you also, after listening, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, so what, what is the prerequisite of the seal? Well, you, you listened. I would encourage you to go back to your earliest recollections of hearing the gospel. And for some of you say, that was in the nursery. That, that was in the nursery. Or, or that was when I was um, in elementary school, or that was in my teenage years, or maybe as an adult, or maybe in the middle of a crisis, but you had to make a choice, didn't you? You, from your perspective, had to make a choice. And what was the choice? Well, in part, would you, would you listen? Paul said it this way to the Romans, faith comes from hearing and, and hearing by the, the Word of Christ. That's the other side of the equation. And I like to quote um, Warren Wearsby on that particular issue, that balance is that elusive point I pass on the way to my next extreme. And so this whole issue that, that we're talking about this morning, it, it requires theological balance. But, but this morning from our verse, praise God that at a moment in time, friend, you were willing to listen. To, to, to listen to, to what? Well, to the message of truth. So you see, you had to decide what you believed was true about the nature of man, about the nature of God, about the nature of each of these powerful words we're studying in this chapter. See, is this true? What I just read to you, is it true that a person like you, you could be adopted into God's family? Is that true? You could be forgiven. You could be redeemed through His blood. And sure, all of that has the potential to offend man's modern sensibilities because you also have to believe that it's true that you needed all of that. But praise God for whoever told you the truth about these matters. In fact, I think this might warrant a call to your parents this afternoon if they're still alive. And if this is the case in your particular situation, it might be good for you to call your mama or to call your dad and to say, thank you for telling me the truth or to reach out to a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker. It's amazing how many people came to Christ through those means. 
and just say thank you for telling me that just Sunday after Sunday, even when I was wiggling around, even when I was blowing spitballs, even when all those other things, thank you, thank you, thank you for telling me the truth, or a friend, or, or, or a co-worker, wh- whoever it was, but also, also from this verse, thank God that He allowed you to, to, to listen to the truth, to listen to the, the gospel of your salvation, Paul says. By the way, this is why we're gearing up for Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It comes very, very early this year. And here's a, a challenge that I would like to, to make to you. We're going to be pushing out all sorts of graphics that, that you can post on your social media platforms. And we can do plenty of advertising, and, and we will. But, but there's no doubt the most effective proclamation of the gospel is always personal. It's always personal. And think what, what would happen. Think about this church. All nine of the worship services that are going to be held at various campuses around faith this morning... Think about what would happen if every social media platform represented in our church family was absolutely lit up with invitations to come to church at Easter time and hear the message of the gospel. Friend, we can't expect people to listen if what? If we're not willing to talk. Could I get another mm mm-hmm on that? We can't. We cannot expect people to listen if we're not willing to talk. And Paul reminded the Romans how beautiful are the feet of those who bring news of good things. And I would encourage you just to think about we're getting into 2024 now, right? In fact, I'm getting used to writing 2024 on my checks. It's starting to become a habit now. We're getting into 2024. Well, think about how many people you've talked to Jesus about in 2024. How many people listened to you or at least had the opportunity to listen because you were talking? And if on that point, that determines the condition of your feet, how beautiful are they? In fact, you look down at them right now if you want to. And Now listen, because I love you. But I'm going to tell you, there's some people, they're talking about everything else in the world, but they can't ever get around to talking to people about the gospel. Who cares if somebody listens to your politics? Who cares if somebody listens to your gossip? Who cares? Right, right. What, what, what are you doing? What are you doing with that mouth that God gave you? Because God promised, he, he said it to Moses, I'll be with your mouth if you let him be. So we can't expect people to listen if we're not willing to, to talk. Well, not only did you listen, but you, you also believed. You, you believed. And I would ask you this morning, are you among the you also in this verse? Think of it. In him, you also. Please make a big circle in your mind around that. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. And I just want to ask every person who's going to hear this message this morning, what do you believe about these matters? And if you never have before, are you willing to listen to the truth that our sin has separated us from a holy God and that our role in this matter, we can't earn it, we, we, we just can't, our role in the matter is to believe is to believe the gospel, to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's as simple as John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, what? Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you've never believed before, we want to invite you to do that today. And if you would say this morning, well, Pastor Virus, I know, I have both listened and believed. Well, I would encourage you to pause and reflect on all of the people and all of the places and all of the events God used to bring you to Himself and, and praise the glory of, of His grace. Well, well here, where does all that take us? Well, the answer is to the title of our message. Here's an essential aspect of our identity, friends. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, what happened to us? You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is some incredibly good news. Reflect on the significance of, of God's seal on your life. Now, if you studied the Bible before, you know that the concept of a seal is fairly well known, and it comes up in several very memorable places in the Word of God, and it was also a term that was very familiar and powerful in that culture. That just like our God. To, to use a, a concept that, that's already clearly taught in the Bible and is also, at least in that day and age, somewhat even now, but certainly in that day and age, very, very well known. What, what does it mean that we're, we're, we're sealed? We're, we're sealed in Him by the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, here's part of what it means. Your salvation is authentic. You may remember in 1 Kings chapter 21 when a man named Naboth would not sell his vineyard to a wicked king named Ahab. You remember this story? And so the king's even more wicked wife named, what was her name? Jezebel, Jezebel. She sent letters to the elders and the nobles of the city about that. Okay, she, she wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth, the guy who owns the vineyard who won't sell it to my husband, at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him <laughs> saying, you curse God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Can you imagine the, the wife of the king just conjuring up that kind of a, a wicked, wicked lie? And since those nobles and those elders might doubt the reliability of that accusation, what did Jezebel do? You remember? Here it is. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, and she did what? She, she, here's our word. She sealed them with his seal and, and sent letters to the elders and the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. See, in the Bible, a seal signifies authenticity. What does Paul say in Ephesians 1.13 about those who have listened and believed the gospel? You've been, think about it, you've been sealed in him. There, there's no greater authenticity than that. P picture hot wax being, being poured on a letter. And there's this, this image of this unique signet ring being pressed onto the hot wax and the ring is in the, the hand of God. Nobody's going to question the authenticity of that seal. And I think there, there's no more important phrase that you would want to describe your identity than this, that, that you've been sealed in Him. That means you're the real deal. Whether anybody else believes that or not, and sometimes whether you believe it or not, if you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, you have been sealed in Him, not because of your righteousness and not because of your reliability, but because of, because of His. The word picture also means your salvation is binding. 
You know, often a seal was used when land or property was being sold. In fact, that's even true to this day to some degree. You may remember that that happened in Jeremiah 32, a very important chapter in the Bible because Jeremiah 32, here's an ingenious statement, it follows Jeremiah 31. And say, well, why is that important? Well, Jeremiah 31 is the giving of the new covenant, which is a crucial place in the, the, the development of theology and the Word of God, the giving of the new. In fact, tonight we'll be celebrating the Lord's table. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the giving of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 is a marvelous, marvelous chapter in the Bible. Well, then, in the very next chapter, the the Lord has the prophet Jeremiah buy a a piece of land. And here's how that story goes. I I bought the field, Jeremiah said, which was at Anathoth from Hanamel, my uncle's son. And I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed it and did what? I I sealed the deed. And I called in witnesses and I, I weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, then the side of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the side of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. Now, you might say, why is that so important? And why was the fact that it was sealed so significant? Well, that was actually a sign of great hope. Because you may remember what was happening in Jeremiah 32. The answer is Babylon is already besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah had clearly prophesied that Jerusalem was going to fall and the people of God were going to be taken captive to Babylon. That, by the way, is why Jeremiah was in jail, because the king Zedekiah didn't like that message. But God, right in the middle of that, it has the prophet buy a, a piece of ground and the deed of the land, which signified ownership, in this case, ultimately to God himself, because here's what happens next. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar that they may last a long time. There, there it is. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards will again eventually be bought in this land. In other words, yes, there's going to be a 70-year captivity, but it's not going to last forever because ultimately who owns this land? God himself, which is one of the reasons that deed, it had to be sealed. Well, what happens to people like you and me when we listen to and believe the gospel? We're sealed, which means we now belong to whom? We belong to the Lord. In fact, Paul said it in the very next verse, with a view to the redemption of what? Uh, Of God's own, that's what this seal indicates. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's the seal, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're what? You're not your own, because you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, now let's just pause and think about that one for a minute. You ready for a quiz? Are you ready for a Sunday morning quiz? Okay, good, good, because you know you got one coming. So it's best just to say, well, yes, I'd like to have another helping of peace. Here we go, here we go. True or false, when you come to Christ, you're no longer enslaved. I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say it out loud, because it might be a trick question kind of. True or false, when you come to Christ, you're no longer enslaved. Friends, that's false. 
That is false. You go from being enslaved to a cruel taskmaster to be enslaved to a wonderful father. That's why Paul said in Romans, but now having been freed from sin, and what? What are the next words in that verse? Enslaved to God. Do you believe that? When you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, was that an authentic statement of ownership in your life? That's why, and I tried to emphasize when we were reading this passage, listen, this chapter is not about our will, nor is it about our glory. No, 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 no. It's about whose will? It's about God's will, and it's about whose glory? It's about God's glory. And over our 60-year history, we've watched sisters and brothers endure all sorts of hardships with dignity and grace. Why? And how? How? Well, it's because these believers, that that is, these, these believers in the gospel, they viewed themselves as being sealed as a sign of divine ownership by a God whose ways are both mysterious and perfect. I, I belong to Him, and therefore I'm living for His will, not, not mine. And I'm will, living for His glory, not mine, because I've been sealed. I, I've been sealed in it, just like a property deed is sealed. So the seal means your salvation is authentic and your salvation is binding. And and lastly, your salvation is irrevocable. There's some good news. And there's all sorts of examples of that in the Bible as well. Like when, you remember when Daniel's enemies, they wanted to extinguish his life because of his faithfulness to his God. And amazingly, they couldn't find any dirt on him (laughs) unless it had to do with his devotion to the Lord. So what'd they do? They, they talk the king into signing a document that anybody who prays to any other god other than the king will be cast in the lion's den. You remember that? And if you read Daniel chapter 6, I mean, it's amazing how much emphasis. Get the king to sign it. Get the, get the king to sign it. Why? Because his signature is irrevocable. And you may remember what happened, Daniel 6, 12. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Didn't you sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians. And here's the point. It, it cannot be revoked. And so a few verses later, what, what did all those guys do when Daniel is now cast in the lion's den because he has violated a, a, a law, a, a, a rule uh, that cannot be, vi- or cannot be revoked? Well, here's what happened. Daniel six seventeen. a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king, what? Bong! He seals it with his own signature. You just got to picture these other guys, right? Get my ring in there. Get my ring in there. Seal, 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 seal. Yeah, good for you. Was Daniel alone in that den? Was Daniel alone in that den? The text says that the angel of God, perhaps the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, had been sent to do what? You had to shut the lion's mouth, and you have to imagine him chuckling as the king. <laughs> they're, 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 they're fighting each other to get their seals affixed to the stone, thinking a more righteous seal is coming. 
and a more powerful seal is coming, and a more eternal seal is coming, and it can never be revoked. Friend, what happened when you listened to and believed the gospel? You were sealed in him with a mark that is authentic and is, is binding and is irrevocable. And I would ask you this morning, how long, according to Scripture, will that seal last? In case you look, ah, my mind's starting to crack. Come on. How long will that seal last? Because it's it's not your seal. It's God's seal. And here's what Scripture says. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for what? For the day of redemption. And you might say, Pastor Ars, are you saying that I can't lose my salvation? That's exactly what I'm saying. Your salvation was not initiated by you. It's not secured by you. It's not kept by you. If you could lose your salvation, you would have lost it half a dozen times already this morning. Right? As soon as, as, soon as I walked up here, you would have said in your heart, oh, we've got to listen to old, long, dry pastor virus again. Bonk. You just lost your salvation. I mean, how many times? <laughs> Come on, how many times would you have lost it already today if you could have lost it? And friends, what I'm saying to you today is very, very good news. And by the way, you might say, I think Pastor Byers is inventing some new novel doctrine around here. (laughs) That's why I'm so glad for this document right here. You know what that is? That's the the dedication service program for um, our original church building on January 8th, 1967. So this church was started in 1964. They they moved into the permanent building, the first permanent building. By the way, you know who the assistant building superintendent was for the first permanent building of this church? This young buck, this young buck. His name was um, Mr. Jerry Jameson, the assistant building superintendent, all those years ago. And so in January, they were able to have a formal dedication service. And this is a copy of the program from their their dedication service. And I love it. I I love it for all kinds of reasons. There's there's not a lot of um, flashy advertising going on on that document. You know that? No, the, the, the graphic guy had the day off. But um, I, I love, I, I just, again, I love it for so many reasons, but one of them is, you see over there in the bottom right, dedication, dedicated to upholding the fundamental Bible truths. You notice they right out of the block, verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. But then do you see the one that's, that's high? And I realize that you say, that's kind of far away. Why? I know. But, but let, let me read it for us if you can't see it. The security, what? Security of the saved. And then they had listed that great text in John 10, 26 to 29. You remember that verse, don't you? What did Jesus say about those who hear his voice? Where are you located? You're located in his hand. And what's the promise? Nobody can pluck you out of his hand. Do you know anybody who's got a hand stronger than God's hand? And then it goes on to say, and, and next verse, you're, you're in my, my Father's hand, and nobody is able to pluck you out of my Father's And you say, whose hand am I in? Am I in Jesus' hand or am I in the God the Father's hand? Yeah, that's right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you get double dessert, sister. Right, right, right there. Now, now time doesn't, there's so much in this passage. <laughs> there's so much in this passage. We, we don't get to think about all of it, but I want to just mention how this was predicted 
The prophet Joel predicted a day when it will come about that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And Paul explained, I'm sorry, Peter explained in Acts 2.16 that that was fulfilled on what day? On the day of Pentecost, when the church of Jesus Christ was born. And friends, what's so beautiful about this is we're not talking about an impersonal seal of hot wax. We're talking about a very personal, transforming seal of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And just think about what that provides. I mean, our church is far from perfect, but there are plenty of occasions where this church family has accepted ministry responsibilities. Think about what Moses did, and think about what we've done over the last 60 years, just accepting all kinds of ministry responsibilities with significant courage and faith. Why? Why did that happen? It's because in part we believed we were sealed by and therefore indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we had so many wonderful guests at our biblical counseling training conference. It was truly an amazing experience. It's such a a blessing from the Lord, including people from countries around the world, including the men, the three men on the left side of this photograph. Those are pastors from Ukraine. Now, that was, a, that was a, and I don't generally leave a lunch and say that was incredibly impactful. I left that one, and I just even had trouble putting my thoughts in, in, into words for, for some time, how impactful it was just to sit with those men and hear about what it's like to live in the war zone, to hear about the percentage of their pastoral staff currently having to serve in military, to hear about the number of members of their church who have died, the number of funerals they've had to do, the number of people who have left for other places. Their church has been absolutely decimated. But at the same time, they've had so many opportunities to minister to people all over their community in all sorts of unprecedented ways. But they're exhausted. I mean, they're just exhausted. They told us about what it was like, especially for their wives. That's what they talked about. To go to bed, you could hear these missiles going over the roof of their apartment and wondering, is the next missile going to hit us? How do you even sleep when you're in that kind of a war zone now for two years? And so we asked them um, how we could serve them. And um, we ask folks that when we're talking to them about the conference, and we ask them to put their requests in writing. We try not to make decisions on the fly. Well, they, they, they sent a letter back to us this week with, uh, frankly, a number of requests. But one of the things they would love to do is just to get sometime this summer a retreat where they could get their um, key church members and leaders off into the mountains just to have a rest, just to have some kind of a retreat. And they asked our church if we would consider providing some of the funding for that retreat, and they asked Pastor Green and I if we would come and be their speakers to Ukraine. Now, we have to decide, and it's a lot of money, and it's a lot of, a lot of things. We have to decide what it is that, that we're going to do. And you might even ask, what should we think about that? It goes all the way back to Moses and the burning bush, doesn't it? Yahweh sent you, the self-existent God who will always be with you. And what I'm saying to us That belief, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. That belief has motivated so many of the ministry decisions made around here over the last 60 years. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul concludes by encouraging us to to rejoice in the future of God's seal in your life. 
He said in verse 14, who's given as a, a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. And there's, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that, that phrase, pledge, the down payment. But perhaps it includes this, maybe. As we progressively grow in Christ, and by the way, if you have time this afternoon, read Romans 8, 9 to 11 on that point. As we walk in the Spirit, we allow Him to develop the Spirit's fruit in us. Maybe that's a foretaste of heaven, a down payment of what it will be like to function fully and freely and completely as His own possession. And that's something else about this church family. We're not a perfect group of people. But do you know what you see a lot of around here? A lot of it. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. What does that signify? Well, people who have been sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And when you think about all of the ministries that God has called us to, Moses-like experiences, we need those resources, don't we? We received another message this week from our friends in the Dominican Republic. And they're asking for a lot more training. In fact, the tone of this particular email that that I received from them this week is, please come back and help us. We need more help. And you might say, why are they they so insistent? Well, a few weeks ago, you, you may remember, I was in the DR. And it was, I was there for a number of reasons, but the primary reason was for the dedication of that new facility. It's actually called Vision of Hope. They asked us for permission to use our name, but, but the reason that that exists, that facility exists, is to serve, think about this, um, victims of incest who are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. That, that problem is so prominent in that culture that they needed a ministry just focused on that, victims of incest who are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. Well, they told us this week they received their first resident. Do you know how old she is? Twelve years old. Twelve years old. And you look at the ministry responsibilities and callings like this and say with the Apostle Paul, who's sufficient for these things? And what is the answer to that? Only those who have been sealed sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, um, Lord, thank you for calling Moses. And Lord, thank you for giving us insight into some of Moses' apprehension and excuses so we don't have to make those same mistakes. And I pray that you would give us a kind of courage, confidence, because of the great news that if we listen and believe, we'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. We pray all this in Christ's name.